It is time now for... This Week in Cyberspace. That's right. It is time for This Week in Cyberspace, episode number 21, I believe, or something along those lines. In previous episodes of This Week in Cyberspace, we have discussed the reality that there's a growing spyware industry that uses human rights abusing technology to spy on people's daily business. But on March the 27th, just two days before the launch of the second US Summit for Democracy in Washington, D.C., there was a major victory for human rights activists when President Biden made an executive order to ban U.S. federal agencies from using commercial spyware. Brett Solomon is with us now. How significant is this presidential decree? Well, you know, you and I now, we sit here every week (laughs) and talk about all the negatives of technology and all the developments that have happened, whether it be in, you know, Iran or India or Australia, Um, you know, how technology is adversely impacting our human rights. And one of the things that's so um, prevalent in the digital age is this use of spyware, you know, that governments believe for some reason that they have the authority to spy on their citizens and also on the citizens of other countries and also governments as well, you know, that the governments are spying on other governments. And, but particularly when it comes to us as citizens, like why is it that governments believe that they can turn all citizens into, you know, guilty subjects as opposed to innocent people living their lives? And so, um, and so, you know, you mentioned that this, this sort of the industry, the spyware industry, it's massive, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And so what we saw with this announcement, President Biden's announcement, which is a positive step, he basically said that all US um, federal agencies are barred from purchasing and using commercial spyware, domestic or foreign um, spyware, um, and and that executive order, order is immediate. So this is really, this is a po- very positive step because look, we know that governments spy, we know that, but to actually have a an executive order, which is, you know, the, it's got the president's seal behind it, barring federal agencies from actually spying or pu- using and, and purchasing and using commercial spyware is really a big deal. And what's also huge is that not only did they say that about their own country, they also managed to get a coalition of other governments to similarly make that same commitment, one of which is Australia. Awesome. That's great, because before the summit, there were 46 civil society organisations that sent a joint letter to governments who were convening the summit for democracy to prioritise human rights um, and due diligence for spyware technologies on the summit's agenda. So, I mean, is is this the outcome that you'd hoped? Is this like all you'd hoped from the summit? (laughs) So what's interesting is you you know that I actually went to to Washington DC yeah. to to participate and I was kind of skeptical to be honest and I I've walked away skeptical as well you know like what does democracy mean in the digital age and why is technology so important to it and and how have authoritarian states really use technology to their advantage i.e. you know just look at China and how China has managed to control the populations including the populations of Tibet and 
and um, in Xinjiang, you know, the, the Uyghur population, like how they use technology to, to control their populations, to censor them, to spy on them, um, to control information flow, etc. So, so when so when Biden put together this this idea of a, about a summit for democracy, it was it was kind of ironic because that is a democracy that itself is in tatters, yes. you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> exactly, and was kind of promoting democracy as this sort of U.S. foreign policy objective, which is kind of gross, right? Like democracy is so much more than that. It's not a po foreign policy objective. I mean, it might be as well, but it's really about genuine political participation of everybody, regardless of, you know, your gender, your identity, your, you know, your your religion, etc. And so so to to sort of participate to go in there with open eyes and think okay what are the policy settings that can be put in place to actually advance democracy one of the things that we know as we, we talk about the authoritarian state they use spyware like they can so the flip side of that is that democracy shouldn't and so to actually have you know perhaps the world's most important democracy in inverted commas actually saying we won't use these technologies to recognize that there is the human rights consequences are so great um, it is a really big deal and it's not all that we want actually what we want is a moratorium on spyware writ large because mm, we know because yeah. yeah. activists are now calling for a global moratorium on digital surveillance technology what are, what are some of the major obstacles to achieving that i mean can you actually do well, it? well the thing is that like there's many places to start one is that follow the money you know like who yeah. is actually investing in always this stuff? do that thing Always do that thing. Mm. Start with the money <laughs> and follow it. Yeah, then and you get the an answer. <laughs> and then see where it ends up. And so, you know, there's profit in spyware. So we need to disable that. We need to identify who the investors are. Yeah. Most of the venture capitalist firms are in the US. Yeah, I was about to say some of the world's largest uh, venture capital firms have raised almost, I don't know, $310 billion in the last five years or so, that, which is more than the GDP of most countries. How, how can you target those profiteers? Well, part of that is about, you know, you need their purchasers and sellers, right? And if the purchaser, i.e., you know, the US government is no longer a purchaser, then you take money out of the market. But you also need you know, you need, and many of the governments that also signed this agreement, this um, this kind of not treaty, but like collective agreement, um, what they said was that they wouldn't, um, that they wouldn't issue export control. So, so there's, you know, like when you're selling anything, you need an export. Um, you need some sort of um, exporting license. So there's controls around that. There's controls around like the financing. You know, speaking to creating. Um, an, an environment of ethical investment, which is work that we've been doing over a number of years now. It's like, you know, you don't you don't invest in tobacco, right? Like you don't invest in armaments and you don't invest in spyware. Like it's all part of the same thing. So we're creating new norms around that. But also I think that citizens also need to be and civil society groups need to be really clear with their governments. It's like, this is unacceptable behavior. You know, spyware is some, it's like cluster munitions, you know, like cluster bombs, like they've now, and landmines, they've now been banned. They still occur, of course, but they've been banned largely. And so we don't see them in the same way as we used to. So creating that sort of environment of, 
of new laws, new policies, new funding environments, and to say, like, if you really want to protect democracy in the digital age, you've got to get rid of this spyware industry. And we've got a long way to go, but I think this is a moment of turning the corner. So if, if there's not a global moratorium and kind of, you know, consensus on dealing and, and restricting the sale of this mm. product, what's going to happen? The spyware industry will just keep rolling out its predatory products? I mean, because it's really quite obscene that companies are profiting from spying on people. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things is that we've been trying to do is name and shame. You know, like the NSO group um, has been one of the key perpetrators of... That's Pegasus, right? That's Pegasus. Yeah. That's the one. That's the big brand name that everybody's heard is like, there's Pegasus on Macron's phone. There's Pegasus on journalists, you know, devices. Um, Amnesty Tech and Citizen Lab have been really good at exposing that. So we need to name and shame those companies. And for instance, another thing that the US government did, which I don't mean to sound so positive about them, but they did actually put the NSO group on its entity list as well through the Department of Commerce. So, you know, like there's, but there's lots of other companies that are popping up and you can see just there's been recent reporting in India, for instance, where the Indian government is looking for like, non-brand names, you know, to try and identify spyware that can kind of be bought on the black market. Um, so we've, you know, it's a whack-a-mole. It's a, this is not a one-year or five-year exercise. This is, this is a generational thing because what we ultimate will, ultimately will end up with if we're not careful, and here's the doomsday bit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to some more positive uh, content in just a little while, however. Um, in the meantime, you know, is that is that we really thought that technology for many years was going to enable democracy, that it was going to enable, you know, this whole idea about techno-utopianism, that we were going to be able to use technology to solve everything. And we we're going to give citizens voice and marginalised communities access and all of that. Well, we're kind of finding the opposite. And, you know, it, has technology become the enemy of democracy? That's the pertinent question yeah. that, that we're at. And, and if we don't actually control the way that states use technology, we do end up in you know, the state of total control, which is like where the state knows everything about you, where all your, the whole economy, the society, the, the, the DNA, everything is digitalized. And when in, in being digitalized, it gets controlled. And it gets, you know, data becomes... Um, is property and data is power and so we need to control our own data and part of that when we come back to spyware is making sure that our data is our own and is not being looked at or controlled by others particularly the state yeah like really don't they have better things to do <laughs> i saw something on the news last night about some 17 year old kid who's hacking for the government i think it is right. to um protect actually and 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 block other dangerous hackers getting into the, that data. Yeah, so there can be hackers hat. for good. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You know, I mean, it's kind of a, it's a difficult game though. Like once you start like, you know, hacking and co-hacking and, you know, cross-hacking and all that, like you can end up in the like, whoever wins has the best technology, right? Yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. a problem, that you is. know, and, and the state is generally going to have the best technology. So it becomes a, it becomes a cat and mouse game. Yeah. Okay, well, in uh, another development, the U.S. Treasury Department has agreed to extend the sanctions relief to keep 
Iranian people online. So US-based companies can now offer tech tools to Iranians without breaking the law. That's an so interesting the, sort of uh, development. I'm, I was wondering how it's impacted on people's rights yeah, in Iran. Yeah, well, this is a real. This is also the second good news story for this week in cyberspace, which is Yeehaw. yeah, which is <laughs> which is good. And it doesn't, you know, good news doesn't just happen. Like you, in this space, you have to work for it. And I think there's lots of activists that are listening to, you know, to this program, and you know that, like, you can't just. You can't just take win a, overnight. You can't win overnight, and even when you've won, you've got to hold the line. Mm. So on this one, basically, governments are looking for the ways that they can like punish other governments for their behaviour. So, for instance, we've seen with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, you know, the US government was like, "Let's sanction the hell out of Russia," and you know, and and the result of that is that actually often the people of the country are the ones that are punished. So you're trying to punish the state, but you're actually punishing the people. And so what happened with this one is that the governments governments have now recognized that you know when you sanction a government and you end up like people being having no food for instance because there's the supply chain is now stopped at the border. Yeah. Well now with technology there's been a recognition that if you sanction the government including all technologies that the anti-war movement, civil society, the community groups, like, are also are all punished. And so what this announcement is, is a carve-out now, which means that U.S. and companies are able, like Facebook and Google and whatever, are able to offer their services to the people inside a sanctioned country. And this is a significant thing for, like, literally hundreds of millions of people to be able to now access Google Play or to be able to access maps or to be able to engage in e-learning or to be able to send an email through MailChimp to a large group. You know, all of those services that we take for granted are largely provided by US companies. Those companies are now able to provide their services to the people of those of those sanctioned countries. And it is, it's a big win, a second big win and something that we're all really proud of. And have you seen the impact of that in Iran and places like even Russia and Syria? Yeah, we have. I mean, the, the real problem now, <laughs> from the next part, is that, you know, companies don't know how, they don't want to be seen as sanction busters, right? So yeah. that means they need to apply for the general license to actually, you know, make it available in that country. So, you know, it's still a way to go, but it's just, it's a recognition. It's it's understanding sanctions in the digital age. We understood them in terms of like, you know, food and pharmaceuticals, etc. Now recognizing that technology is such an important part of people's lives on the other side of the firewall, let's make sure that they have access to it so that they can, you know, mobilize as we said in the anti-war movement or that they can you know send emails out to their community group to let them know that x y or z is happening it's 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 a positive the united states had over 30 eu and un sanction regimes in place globally are they all now defunct they're, they're not defunct they're, they're basically amended they all got amended simultaneously okay so that's the announcement out of the the second big announcement from the technology perspective from the summit of democracy. So like, as I say, while we walk, we walk into these events with like our eyes wide open, we also need to recognize that there is some positive change that can happen. It's incremental, it's hard work, but this week in cyberspace can reveal it to you <laughs> blow by blow. Uh, is democracy still alive and kicking in DC? 
I mean, is this is this our is this our last is this our last point before the before our segment closes? Look, this is it. you know, I think that I mean, what was really interesting was that you know Trump was indicted as the at the closing ceremony of the Summit for Democracy. You know, this is seeing the organs of the judicial system working, yeah. and so. Amazing. And so, yeah, I think that there's hope. I think that we've got a lot of work to do, but there is hope. Brett Solomon, thanks for bringing it to us. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Here on This Week in Cyberspace. Brett Solomon there, CEO of Access Now, uh, a digital rights organisation that you can check out online. And if you want to listen to any of our previous episodes, just hop on your favourite podcast platform, Spotify, Anchor, Apple. It's all there. <laughs> Get involved. <laughs>